You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 146, A View from the Survivor's Seat with Stacy Jewell. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Indian Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, I'm glad to be back with you. One of the things that I am really grateful for being part of this show uh, with you for the last six years is the opportunity to meet and to have conversations with so many people who are doing so much wonderful work in the space. And I have a feeling that today's guest is going to be just so much fun for us to learn from, uh, from her experience and what she's up to. And uh, I can't wait. Well, I talked to her on the phone as kind of a prep time, and it was almost an hour, and we realized we both had to go back to work. So <laughs> That's a good problem to have. So I'm really pleased to be able to welcome Stacey Jewell to the show today. She is a writer, director, and producer of the award-winning play Seven Layers Captive, which premiered at the Kennedy Center. And she was raised in the D.C. metropolitan area. At age 19, she was abducted and forced into the dark world of sex trafficking. After being held captive for almost two years, she was liberated from the violence and the psychological abuse of the sex industry. She is an internationally recognized survivor leader and trainer with the Department of Justice and was honored at the Justice for Victims of Trafficking press conference by the Honorable Senators Chuck Sumer and Patrick Leahy. She is an advocate for victims, an expert trainer and performance artist who founded the Who Is Stolen Creative Arts Troupe. As a survivor of human trafficking, Stacy knows all too well that words have power to uplift or tear down the soul, and her compelling dramatizations have helped various organizations, including the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the FBI, state-level human trafficking task forces, and the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. She has dedicated her life to community outreach and advocacy mobilization on behalf of the victims of sex trafficking from around the world. As she often says, entertainment and media are powerful forms in creating public awareness, and she believes that helping survivors and advocates find their voice through creative expression is vital to the movement of ending modern-day slavery. Sandy, there's so much we have in common with Stacy already from her bio and the you know, just like we are doing today, utilizing media in order to be able to um, help us all learn and to grow. So Stacy, we're so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I'm really excited to be here. And I, I was just thinking, boy, that's a long bio. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's a pretty long bio. But um, I'm, I'm really excited to definitely speak with um, others who have the same heart and passion for um, advocacy mobilization in the world of the anti-human trafficking movement. So I'm, I'm excited to be here today. Well, I titled this A View from the Survivor's Seat with Stacey Jewell. Mm-hmm. And I, what you bring to the table as a veteran survivor advocate is a wealth of knowledge of some of the um, barriers that survivors face, some of the obstacles, some of the the sand traps that they can get stuck mm-hmm. in. And 
also, uh, I, you know, we don't have a lot of time here and I know we're going to have to have you back, but I see you as a survivor advocate that can help nonprofits do a better job of facilitating survivor voices in their communities. And so I, I first want to talk about what that means. How do you help survivors find their voice? Well, you know, that's, it's, I love Mm -hmm. that question. And it's so many broad ways to help a survivor find their voice. Um, I can first start off talking about how I help individually survivors help their, you know, find their voice. And a lot of it is just being someone who is relatable, going through the same uh, trauma or the same type of life experiences that they've had and being able to be honest about my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses and the things that I struggle with, as well as my hopes, my victories and the areas that I've overcome. Just that type of example, a lot of times is what empowers new survivors to come into leadership. That's already kind of, you know, that example of I can do this too, or I can, you know, take my story and become empowered, empower others, and also help to heal. And when they're able to find that hope within their story, they're able to kind of embrace it and allow their testimony or their story to kind of start that healing process. And so, you know, what I do a lot of times when I'm working with survivors, whether it's through a nonprofit who has recommended a survivor or a survivor referral, and they just heard that, hey, you know, here's someone who can help you identify with your story, really embrace the the truths and decipher between the lies that we've told ourselves, and then, you know, find the courage and the hope. Because every survivor within their victimization has found hope and found courage in something, whether it was just techniques to survive, whether it was the bonding with other victims, Um, As you try to work through problems and scenarios, there are things that have happened that have begun to shape their personality, but there are things that they can also draw from and, and empower themselves and others with. So it's kind of what I love to focus with. And when I talk to nonprofits, what I love to say is, you know, find that heartbeat, find that passion with the clients and uh, that you're working with, especially if they're in direct services, you know, really begin to, connect with them and find out who they are as a human being, not just as their victimization or their story or their background, but who they are as a human being right now. And maybe they don't know, maybe they don't know, but you know, that's a part of the journey and it's lifting them up in the process because one thing, you know, I always, you know, say is that, you know, without the nonprofit, it's kind of like having an underground railroad without abolitionists, Uh you know? Yeah. In my experience working with nonprofits, sometimes they're not really sure what a survivor is going to say. And one of the steps in your process that really was very reassuring was how you actually work with them to develop a script and they decide how much they want to share and, and they have more control. What, what does that process look like? You know, that process is such a fun process because, you know, immediately when I'm working with someone, they expect the usual. They expect to kind of sit into a white wall room, you know, with a pen and a piece of paper and someone to start digging at their most intimate details. 
Mm-hmm. But that's not what I'm doing, right? That's not what I do. And this is something that every survivor who becomes a speaker has to deal with. And a lot of times it's what's happening to them in front of a huge stage with everyone in a gala while they're dressed up and they're wealthy and they're kind of peering at you. And now it's time to reveal your deep, dark, you know, areas of shame. And so they're expecting to kind of come in and to kind of be prodded and, and pulled. But I do the absolute opposite. I start talking to them about what do you like? What are your passions? When was the last time you've been to an amusement park? When was the last time you've been to the beach? What do you like about this? Do you like art? Do you like music? You know, because I want to find out who you are right now and what you love outside of your victimization. Mm. Right. And as I'm finding this out about them and they're starting to reconnect with things that were lost. And and the reason I do this is because I was an artist before I was kidnapped and abducted into sex trafficking. Right. I was a theater person who loved theater, who embraced theater. And it was a part of my livelihood and my life and my passion. And I love poetry. And, And this is something I say a lot. When I was abducted into sex trafficking, there's no poetry there. There's no theater there. There's no art there. So I embraced that when I came out of that lifestyle and I knew that this was something I liked. Sometimes survivors are going into these lifestyles and and being forced into this when they're mere children and they haven't identified what they like. So sometimes a part of the process is discovering who they are and what they like and offering them different things. Well, have you ever tried this? Have you ever thought of that? And then the next time I have a session with them, because this is this, I do this over weeks of time. Sometimes we have to have crush, you know, a crunch sessions, maybe someone has an event that's coming up or a news broadcast or a documentary and they're, they're having to speak and they need to do public speaking and, and be prepared. But if I had time, you know, we go through different days of conversation. After the first conversation, I find out what your likes are and we talk about it. And then the next time we're together, we're going to be there. We're going to be at that amusement park. We're going to go to that art exhibit. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to go and connect with that passion. And then it's during this time that I say, I'm going to start asking you a few questions. I'm going to just ask you questions about things that you like, things that you don't like, things that hurt you, things that may have been a part of your past, but it's not directly connected to that particular scenario. This way, I'm able to get honest answers from them. Honest answers for them, answers that aren't restricted, so, aren't under pressure. So when you say you get honest answers, why would you expect something less if if you if you didn't go through that process? I'll tell you why. Because for me, when I first started telling my story and I first started trying to express my story, there were so many things that I remembered as truths that weren't truths. Mm. But because of my emotion or because of my scenario or my surroundings, the pressure from those emotions and surroundings cause you to develop your own script. And this is a script that you would often give to other people, a script that you've also convinced yourself of. And the problem is we are taught as survivors or victims when you're in trafficking, you have to wear masks. You have to wear these masks. You have to be with that, uh, the person who's that predator wants you to be. You have to conform to what the captor needs you to be. So you develop scripts based on who you're sitting in front of. However, when you're enjoying life, when you're thinking about the passions that are, are, are a part that are making you excited, when you're thinking about music or maybe your passion is math or whatever that passion is, maybe it's gardening. When you're in that moment of joy and you're not thinking about these things. And I say to you, you know, do you ever feel ashamed about what happened to you? And then your head goes down, you know, and you say, yes, 
sometimes I'm very ashamed and sometimes I don't want to tell anyone. And now you're being honest with me because you're in a place of joy, not in a place of oppression, not in a place of feeling guilty, not in a place of feeling forced, but you're in a place of I'm willingly sharing with you. And I always let survivors know that they don't have to tell me anything. We can go through all of these sessions and you just say, you know what? I found out who I was and what I like, but I don't want to share. In fact, I've done sessions and those are some of my greatest victories. When a survivor, after they go through the session, they say, you know what? I really want to go to school and do this, or I really want to go and be that, and I want to learn this. And you know what? I don't necessarily want to tell my story because that's a part of who I was, not a part of who I am. And then I have others who come through and say, I'm empowered. I want to do this. I want to do this. But I need these moments with them so that I can have a fresh start for their story. They need to see their story in a different light. And then we can sit down and work through the mechanics of what to put on the speech. That is such an insightful comment that they, when they discover themselves and then they decide they want to go on and live their lives and not be a survivor speaker. And I mm-hmm. just want to say how much I appreciate you giving them the freedom to make that choice because not everybody is cut out to do what you do. And, and there's a price okay. to pay for that, right? Oh, there's a price. There's a heavy, heavy price to pay for that. It, you know, for me, I did, you know, 10 years uh, worth of, of just uh, preparation that I didn't realize was preparation to be a survivor speaker. You know, I, I went to Nyack College and I got my AA in Christian education and, you know, I started working and I started getting into marketing and became a marketing manager of a real estate firm. I was writing poetry. I was doing plays. I was preparing myself for the arts is what I thought. And then I realized, oh, these talents are great. I can use this now to go back and do what I told these young girls that I would do when I was in that lifestyle. I said, if I ever became free, I'll come back for you. So I realized that Mm. these were the tools that I had already to go back and help others not be captive or, or just lend my voice. But what I find is that, you know, every person is so different and some of them do want to learn these things and some of them do want to be a speaker. They want to move forward with it. Um, and I say that you're not going to necessarily sound like me or sound like this or do it like this, but you have a creative piece in your hand and I call it the platform training, right? Your creativity with your message equals your platform. That's great. So if that's cooking or if it's this or if it's math or if it's using social media or whatever that's in your hands, that's your passion and you want to empower others and you're, and you feel encouraged and courageous enough to stand because this is a lot of work to tell your story over and over again. If you're not telling your story in a place of hope, if you're not telling your story in a place of encouragement and empowerment to you, then it's draining. It's draining. It pulls from you. And some of the worst things that I've ever seen is, is at a gala where there's people with, with, with you know, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars being raised after a survivor has been up there and they poured their heart out, telling their deepest, darkest things and tragedy to a room full of people who give her a standing ovation or a hand clap and they say, thank you so much. And then they go about their business mingling and talking and raising funding for that organization and the survivor is kind of lost in the wind. And I do what I do this way because I don't want any more survivor leaders, speakers, or victims who are just coming out into this movement to not realize that their story is theirs and it belongs to them and that they can be empowered because nonprofits do want to collaborate. 
But survivors and nonprofits have to be taught to collaborate. Let me kind of uh, reel this in and ask this question, because now we're kind of moving over to the nonprofits. How (laughs) do nonprofits avoid re-exploiting survivors? Because that's kind of your gala description um, is a little bit of, of the idea that they're raising money because you're telling your story. And what are you walking away with? What? Right. Explain that for me. So, you know, for nonprofits, what I always, you know, want to say is getting back and remembering the, 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 the core root of why you're doing this. You are in this to serve this population. You are in this because your heart and your passion says there's a need and I want to focus my attention into this need and the need are these individuals. I am here to love and care and uplift these individuals. This is why I'm raising funding. This is why I do what I do. Now, a lot of times when you get to the stage of the gala and you have the survivor speaker, it's not necessarily the direct service or the clients that that nonprofit is actually working with, right? right. So what I always encourage is not to lose sight of the heartbeat of your organization, even when it's money time even when you're on deadline time, even when you're at a, at a place where, you know, what, what are galas for? Galas are to look good enough to attract those to give more. When these opportunities are happening, not to lose sight that the most important person in the room is the person you're serving. Mm. What would be you the know? responsibility so, of the nonprofit host to the survivor? How could they lay out a way to demonstrate respect and value and not have the survivor advocate, the survivor speaker, feel disempowered or invisible or even exploited? What would be well, their responsibilities? There are several different ways we can do it. And I can maybe name just a few very quickly because I know we don't have a lot of time. But, you know, one of the ways is if you have a $50,000 budget for something, just make sure you have something in the budget for your survivor speaker that's there. Now, we do have to be honest, in the speaker's world, a lot of times you're going to find that with a lot of meeting planners. They don't always have a speaker's budget. Speakers do uh, speaking engagements for different reasons, maybe because they have product, because they have books, because they want the collaborations, they want the networking opportunities, but they're given the option. However, survivors, I think, in a way, should be automatically added into a budget as a, as a way of saying that I respect you, I care, and also to keep them from being in a vulnerable situation. You don't want them to be at the gala feeling uncomfortable about what they have on, how they look, the money that they have in their pocket, or if they have enough money to get home after your gala. So you want to be mindful of that and make sure that you know that the, the, the table decorations are just as important as that survivor receiving a piece of that budget. That's kind of number one. Okay. Number, and that's kind of like a really small logistic, uh, you know, logistic way that you can, you can do it. Another uh, way is just by asking about the actual needs. If it's a give and take, if you're, if you're, if you're doing, if you're using their story to raise funding, Remember that you want to lift her up too and not raise funding just off of her. You want to lift her up with you inside of the fundraising so that a survivor gladly comes alongside of you. See, there's nothing better than when nonprofits get it right. And that survivor becomes one of the greatest 
collaborators that that nonprofit ever needed. Why? Because we're going to stand up and we're going to cheer your praises because we're going to feel respected as human beings and respected in our industries as speakers because our story is valuable. And now you've taught that survivor that she's not just valuable because she's offering this service. She's valuable because your core heart and passion is to serve her, and I want to lift you up this way, right? And and that way, now you're you're supporting the the survivor leader, and you're supporting the victims who are just coming out, and you're doing the work. You're continually saying, "My heart and my passion are for those who I'm serving." So you know, but there are ways that we can do it creatively. Sometimes it's just that they just don't know how to honor or how to do it, or what's going to um, make the best impact. So you have to ask, really ask, really ask. And I don't mean enable because, right, you have a lot of nonprofits who struggle with this, right? You know, well, we can't just always give this, and we can't always just do that. We can't always do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, but if you need something and you're partnering, collaborate. I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast and count how many times you've used the word collaboration. I think that's kind of what drew me into our first conversation. So we've talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about the responsibilities of the nonprofit host. What are the responsibilities in a collaborative model of the survivor speaker? You know, that is such a good question because that's one of those things that, you know, we're, I'm still struggling with to this day, <laughs> just, you know, continually showing, you know, what collaboration looks like. So one of the best examples that I have is a film, you know, everyone watches films, all of us, we've watched a movie at least once in our life. And, you know, maybe we don't watch the credits, but the reality is that in that film, there are hundreds of credits, hundreds of people who have invited or added their expertise to create one movie, one movie with one solitary goal, yet it took hundreds and hundreds of people to, to, to create that. And each person received their just dues for what they added to that film, whether it was just credit or if it was an internship or if it was volunteer or if it was a paid gig, if contracts were done, that all of these people negotiated their worth and it was added and they were lifted up when that movie was lifted up. Every time a movie wins an Oscar, everyone who added one piece to it is lifted up. And that is kind of what I look at as the art of collaboration. We have this. We want to lift it up higher, but we need all of us to come together and all of us also receive the credit that we for, for what we put in and the work we've put in. You know, collaboration takes being unselfish. Collaboration takes knowing that there's a bigger pie if we all work together. Collaboration says that I'm not afraid of losing what I have owned and have. See, the reason people don't collaborate is out of fear. Mm. And we can't show that to survivors who are coming out who just need to trust that you are a person of your word or your organization means what they say. Because if not, you're going to look like every other person who has used them, whether it's for their minds, their bodies, or their souls. Because at the end of the day, these victims and these survivors were coming out being horribly used and were scared all the time of being used again. So the damage that can come from nonprofits who don't have this information or who don't know how to collaborate or who haven't been taught, you know, the damage that occurs is even greater because now they're saying, 
oh, at least I knew what it was like to be used by those who were perpetrating against me. But it's so much harder when these people say that they're here to help me, you know. So mm. it's really just focusing. And, and, and we we need each other. We need each other because they're the resources that these organizations have and people who want to collaborate are, you know, something as simple that can change a survivor's life. It can change a survivor's life. You can have a hundred thousand budget for an event and you can say, you know what, maybe you even say, okay, all we have is a thousand dollars for this survivor speaker. But guess what? That thousand dollars might pay her rent and may keep her encouraged to keep pushing and telling that story and staying focused and staying in the movement versus dropping off and we never find out what happens to her again. And I love something you said, Stacy, about the um, the just taking the time to ask because um, Sandy knows this. I coach a lot of leaders, and one of the the questions that people often ask when they're leading other people is they'll say, "Well, I don't I don't know how to give this person feedback, and I don't know what they like to be motivated by." And one of the first things I'll often ask is, well, have you asked them? And most of the time, the answer is no. And it's, it's one of those things that it seems it's so obvious often that we miss it. And I think it's such an important thing here to do to just have that conversation asked, to find out what's needed, to find out what would be helpful and what would serve that person. And by doing those things, I mean, we open up the collaborative nature of what you're talking about and really create a partnership. It's absolutely true. And sometimes you just have to be walked through those things, right? I mean, I had a situation just 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 the other day for an event that was coming up, a wonderful organization, a wonderful college kid intern, super excited, and they really wanted to get me to this event to speak and and to be a part of what they were doing. And it was just the distance. I you know, I just was like, you know, hey, do you have anything in a budget, an honorarium, anything like that? And I remember them saying, well, we can reimburse you for gas. And maybe if you need a hotel room because we're a little bit far, we can do that. And then I remember just sitting with them and I said, you know, I love your heart and I can tell you really mean well. Let me ask you this question. How much is your budget for the hotel? And they gave me the amount. Well, are you going to be able to do this uh, per mile for the gas? And they were like, yeah, we can do that. And I said, you know, if you put all that together, that's this amount. I said, how about you take that amount and you put it into a speaker's agreement and I'll give you a contract and now I can come and participate. And they were like, oh, that's wonderful. They just needed that guidance. But survivors need that education, too. So they need to learn that, you know, this is how you start a conversation of networking and collaboration, that you do have the power to do that. And that sometimes it's good intentions just without the knowledge. So it's a give or take thing. That's why I developed these trainings specifically for nonprofits and organizations and survivor leaders who are trying to kind of work hand in hand in these movements, but being able to do it without competition because we're all trying to do one goal, and that is to eradicate human trafficking. That is outstanding. And I, you know, when when we were talking on the phone, it's like I wanted to start calling you Coach Stacy because when I have a question now <laughs> about how to best serve a survivor that really wants to be a speaker, wants to be an advocate, wants to do like you've done and testify for for the FBI and so on, um, there are so many little obstacles, and a speaker's agreement is a great plan. It's professional. Mm -hmm. It sets out the expectations Mm -hmm. on both sides, because so many times nobody wants to say to the survivor, you know, we can't let you talk for the whole time because we we do have a really tight schedule. So making those Mm -hmm. expectations clear in writing is a professional and respectful responsibility for both parties. Exactly. And 
being sensitive to that if you're on the side that has more knowledge about those agreements, right? Right. Because the organizations and the businesses are going to have more knowledge about speakers agreements, right? They're going to have more knowledge about well, how to do a no. contract. So many little nonprofits and church groups, they have no idea about you're right. their responsibilities. <laughs> That's why you had the conversation right. you did. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. yeah, I'm going to tell you what it's like from my, I get calls and people want me to introduce them to a survivor and I ask them, how much is your budget? And they say, oh, no, we're all volunteers, but you want her to drive two hours to get there and, and, you know, so and take time off from work. And that's not just nonprofits. That's often government organizations. So we have to rethink Mm -hmm. the value of our survivor led, survivor informed community. Our time is Mm -hmm. up, Stacey. We're going to have to reschedule because (laughs) on the next call, I want you to talk to us about seven layers captive and we'll put a link to the trailer for that. Um, I, I know I have an audience of students that will absolutely go nuts and want to know when are you going to do that on the West coast so they can see that you are looking into that. So I can't wait to share. (laughs) Oh, you are inspiring. And I am, I'm going to just start calling you coach Stacy. And um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, when when nonprofits want to talk about what they what their responsibilities are, how they can be ethical and um, best serve survivor leaders, um, we're going to send them to you. We want them okay. to share this website, and we will um, we'll look forward to having you back on. And your website is www.whoisstolen.com. And you're just such a delight. And thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you. Thank you all so very much. It was a pleasure. Well, and thank you, Stacey, uh, Sandy. You know, we always discover so many new things. I mean, as many many conversations we've had over the years, it's just really exciting to get a new perspective. And I, uh, I'm so grateful for Stacy coming on the show today. And, um, and I'm grateful to you for listening. I hope you'll take a moment to reach out to us as well. If you have questions that have come out of today's show, um, certainly check out Stacy's website. We'll have the links in the show notes. Uh, you can also email us gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice, which Sandy directs here at Vanguard University. You can also reach us by phone 714-966-6360. Hey, if you've been listening to the show for a bit and you haven't left a review for the show, we really appreciate it. If you take a moment, if you use iTunes to leave a rating or review for the show, it helps a lot more people to find the resources we have here on the Ending Human Trafficking podcast and to share the knowledge like Stacy has uh, shared with us today. So uh, Sandy, thanks again, and I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care, everyone. 